This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to get to visit with a brilliant oncologist, Dr. Vijay Trasal. And Dr. Trasal is with the City of Hope, uh, one of the most fasting organizations in the world in terms of both bench and bedside, founded with research in mind and, and really doing an incredible job of growing and sort of has this much greater sort of footprint and impact on the world than maybe its its brand you know shows although trying to get those two things in line with each other because its impact is remarkable uh, dr Trisal, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and maybe a little bit about city of hope too hey scott thank you first of all for inviting me and i think you are absolutely right i've never heard this before but you're absolutely right that city of hope is one of the most fascinating um, stories, and, and we'll go deeper into that. But about me, I am a, I'm a cancer surgeon. I'm a surgical oncologist. I grew up in a tiny little village in northern India. You might have heard of Kashmir for all the wrong reasons, but it is another beautiful, beautiful place in the foothills of the Himalayas. I grew up in a village, um, went to medical school there, and around the 90s, early early 90s, late 80s, due to a lot of turmoil um, between India, Pakistan, China, and that whole area, we had to leave that place and come to Delhi. And from there, I went to Michigan to study immunology. Uh, I did a surgery residency in Michigan and then went on to do cancer surgery at City of Hope. And I... Uh, I am kind of a lifer at City of Hope now. I've been there for 21 years and have spent my time in the lab doing research, in the clinic, taking care of cancer patients, but also was very closely involved with expanding City of Hope's network over the last 21 years, where we now have 35 sites outside of Duarte. And as you might have heard, CTCA has become part of City of Hope. In fact, it is City of Hope, so I have been involved with that um, expansion and creating a quality structure around the whole enterprise. Uh, that is kind of the nutshell of the last uh, 30 years of my life. So, it, I mean, there's so many things there, but let me start with this. Just give a few moments on what it's like to grow up in a small village in northern India the Kashmir region, which, you know, of course, it's strife at certain points and so forth and so on. And, and then, you know, migrate this life, immigrate this life to the United States. I mean, we, we are so fortunate in the United States to have so many brilliant doctors from around the world, particularly from India. And, and tell us a bit about what that life journey is like. And then I'd also like to understand how does India do a much more efficient job of creating and developing doctors than we do. Both we and India create great doctors, uh, but they're created a lot quicker in India. And talk about that for a little bit, because there's probably lessons we can learn here from that. Well, let me tell you what comes to my mind. Your question, the thing that comes to my mind is thankfulness. And thankfulness, not just because uh, I have had this opportunity to have my fingerprints on taking care of people and patients, but thankfulness for the, the learnings that came right from the start. And that those learnings came from dealing with situations that were far from ideal, whether those were environmental or those were resources to get education, 
or that was how people around you uh, had knowledge around them. So I think the difficulties that I faced, I would call them difficulties today, but at that time, it was just life. It was life, you know, walking to to school and um, and taking the bus to 30 miles away. That was my school and carrying my lunch bag with me. I think the things that life taught me, leave alone education that, or schooling that taught me, I think things that life taught me about how to adjust, how to navigate, but also how to put your foot down when there is a question or a topic that is so important to you. I think that differentiation of how we have to take that middle layer of questions and issues that come up and adjust, but not compromise on our ideals, that is a tough learning. I, I have three boys and all of them are just some of the most brilliant and remarkable people that I know. And I feel like they are at a disadvantage in some ways. Because somewhere those struggles that I faced or people of my generation faced, whether that was in this country, in the rural areas, or in Kashmir or others, I don't think my kids got that education. That was the street education, the, the, what we call the, uh, the, the education by, by being able to have to fight in the streets, not physically, but, but fight the stretches. Take a moment on that, though, because this is so true, though. If you grow up in difficult times, it molds people in a certain way. It, it, it causes them sometimes to be that much more driven or motivated, that much more sort of aware of everything around them. And, and the great advantage, of course, of growing up poor or growing up with challenges or growing up with whatever is because maybe it makes you just naturally that much more of a driven, motivated person. Whereas if you grow up in affluence, it makes it, it, it it's much harder to create that kind of drive and energy and so forth that doesn't just naturally come from growing up in a family. And, you know, in, in some cases, you grow up in a family that went broke at some point or poor or went through something. But it's, but it's a fascinating topic, isn't it? This, you know, the, the, the downside of growing up in affluence versus the, you know, and, and I know it's, it's, it's viewed as today, it's a very complicated subject to talk about because people take offense if you say, well, there's an advantage to growing up poorer, but you and I both know if that happens, it creates a certain amount of drive, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I think there are times when people want to create a burning platform. If there is not a burning platform, whether you don't have struggles growing up, you can't really create it. And in my mind, we talk a lot about emotional intelligence. And I think it's just so critically important for people to grow. I, I met a fascinating skier in uh, Utah just a few months back. And she talked about the, 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 the gift of mediocrity or the gift of being average. I, I think she was obviously, she's a gold medalist. She was obviously uh, in, you know, downplaying her achievements. But the emotional intelligence, is not something that is purely uh, genetic. I think emotional intelligence is environmental. I think your ability to read people, your ability to read the room is what you have to do sometimes to be able to navigate that. But in that environment, keeping true to your values and keeping true to your true north is something that balance is just so critically important. Scott, I, I've seen, you talked about growing in affluence. 
I have seen people who have so much, who have so many resources, and the ability to separate is that, hey, why am I doing this that may not be aligned with who I am? That There's a blurring of those lines, and that is what I feel is so critically important. So there's this, this balance you talked about, how important it is to feel that adversity, but it is also this ability to separate where that line is. And I think that can get blurry. I, that, that is the important aspect to remember as well. Talk about, Dr. Gasol, a different issue, a different challenge. The United States has 330 million people in the aging and growing population. We are fortunate to enjoy a better ratio of people to doctors than China and India do, which is such a, such huge countries with a billion four, billion three, billion five people, just huge amount of people compared to the number of doctors and providers. Notwithstanding that fact, we feel in this country that we've got increased challenges with coverage and access, more access and coverage. We're, we're, we're at the highest rate ever of coverage, but access is getting worse and worse. My impression is that India does a much more efficient job of educating physicians than we do here and more efficient and creates great doctors. Are there lessons that the U.S. can learn from India in how to streamline education a little bit, move it a little faster a little bit, or, or, or get people practicing a little bit earlier? How do we, are there lessons we can learn? Yeah, so it's a couple of thoughts. Before I answer that question, I'll give you this one anecdote that is just so true. There are there are organizations in India, few and uh, they're not that uh, that common. It's called the IITs of India, Indian Institute of Technology. Those are much more related to engineering. And then there is the All India Institute of Medical Sciences, which is the uh, one of uh, the like six of them medical schools in India. These are brilliant, and people say that folks who don't get in there into IIT and AIMS, they go to Princeton and Harvard. And, and while it might sound um, a, a, a much more of a, of a funny anecdote, the fact is that the competition for the IITs and the AIMS is just so, so much competition. For 35 seats in one All India Institute of Medical Sciences, there is about 2 million applicants. Obviously, you're picking up some of the most brilliant people on top. India has a population now is going to surpass China, 1.3 billion people. And the competition towards getting into medical school is so high. When I grew up, 95% of the colleges were all government colleges. So there was not this, hey, you can pay money and get in. But even the folks that were in the most uh, downtrodden areas that could not pay they had as much of this ability to get into a good medical school as somebody who had millions of dollars. So that in itself created an environment where you have a great group of people here in the United States who would want to go to medical school, but because of the limitation of how much it costs, I paid $50 for a medical school. In fact, I paid $50 and I got $200 of scholarship back on top of that. So that is one big factor, is what is the entry criteria towards an education system? And this probably will hold true for 
engineering and sciences and economics and, and many other factors. So, so that I think is one factor. The other factor is that education is a little differently revered in the East. You can you cannot go to school and chew gum or put your feet up on the table or have your book torn or um, not have uh, a proper etiquette in the room. And, and it cuts both ways. On one hand, there is a hierarchical system where you are not as free to voice your opinion. But on the other hand, it creates a structure. So we do five and a half, six years of medical school. And that includes a year after graduating, which is rotating through every place else. It is what the British had handed down to us. And there is some benefits to it. It's a very structured education system that is being followed in every medical school. So there might be something about structure, something about the entry, but realize also there are good medical schools in India, good hospitals in India that are private hospitals where you can pay and get the best care that is available anywhere in the world. And then there are the hospitals and the medical schools which you would not want your, your family to go to if they were sick. Um, and that dichotomy is becoming the chasm of difference between people who can pay for their healthcare and who can't pay for the healthcare is becoming larger and larger and larger because of the same thing that we see here in the United States, the economic class, the separation between the middle class and the upper class is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. It was certainly the, the in India, just the sheer mass of population compared to the number of doctors and institutions is really challenging, um, and it's caused the country to rely more on prevention. But but I and you know with, with varying degrees because you could rely as much as you want on prevention, but you still need lots of doctors and caregivers. We need to somehow figure out between Eastern model, Western model, other models. Most of our medical education seemingly was developed pre the internet, pre the methods of doing so. Um, you know, a long time ago, and so much of it's based on learning how to do every single thing versus learning how to access every single thing. And it's, uh, it, it seems like it's become fascinatingly inefficient here, the medical school training, even though it creates very good doctors. Would you might, any, any thoughts know, that's, on that? That's absolutely true on the, on the education side. I think the challenge we see in the United States is on the delivery side as much. Uh, the biggest difference between uh, a patient in India and here today is the support, social structure support. You know, I, I work at a cancer hospital only, and when you have to discharge a patient, you have to figure out who's going to take care of this patient when they go home, or many of them go to a skilled nursing facility or other places. That challenge you don't have in India traditionally. There is such a good family support. Most of the wound care dressings will be done by somebody in the family who is educated enough. The the combined unit, the, the nuclear family, has an impact that is beyond from a joint family. The joint family, there are people who are, you, know, you have a 12th grader who will learn how to prime a pump, who, how to infuse antibiotics, how to take care of a wound. Here, you can't have that. The, the social system is not supporting. And I think when you talk about addiction, you talk about long-term care you talk about and, and the average age 
of the whole population, I'm not just talking about cancer patients or patients, the average age of the whole population is, I think, 15 years lower in India. So there's much more younger people who are open and are, are capable and are willing to take care of the elderly in a joint family. It comes with its own challenges, but I think that social structure in healthcare is something we have not paid enough attention to. Thank you. Dr. Trisal, I'm going to ask you a different set of questions, and, and bear with me here if you don't mind. So there's leaders. You've had this fascinating leadership sort of life. Uh, aside from currently, you are one time, you know, the, the, the chief resident, uh, captain of the cricket team, you know, sort of one of these people that throughout life has been thriving in leading. Thoughts on and, and I know it's an uncomfortable question. Are leaders born or made, or can you make leaders, or is it just naturally in them when you see – how do you look at that question of leaders being born or made? Because I see people that naturally throughout life took up leadership capacities. You and captain of your sports team, captain of chief resident, and through life, a life of leadership. Any thoughts on leaders born or made, and can we manufacture leaders or help them develop the ability to be leaders? Let me answer it in, in a different way. Never thought, I never thought the job I'm doing today that I was going to do that or I was even ever interested in that. I was very happy as a surgeon taking care of patients. Even now, if you ask me where is my nirvana, it happens in the operating room. I still operate. But to your directly asking, answering your question, I think it is the environment that creates leaders. It is the need and it is how we give them the opportunity. Folks at City of Hope that have been my mentors and my sponsors have been so generous with their time and with their education and, and also overlooking some of the faux pas that I have made throughout my, my career here at City of Hope. I think leadership, the people are hungry for leadership. The people who are begging to have leaders, good leaders are rare. I am not calling myself a good reader. Please, please don't read into that. I would let somebody else say that. But it is the need of the hour that makes people step up. And it is how we have led them to that point where they are ready to take on that responsibility and take that on fully. So directly answering your question, I think leaders are made there are characteristics that happen in a child's life in the first four or five years of their life. And a lot of that is how much they feel they are loud, which I think is a big criteria of how they, how they wear the gown of leadership later on. It is how much in their first five years of their life, their development, they feel that the world is a safe place and that what they do contributes to the bigger goal. And this may be, uh, I may be talking utopia here because I work for a cancer center. You, you cannot think of being in a cancer center and not being altruistic. That, that, that's a beauty of a cancer center where everybody who comes under a roof will come there for that specific purpose. They're already motivated. So for me to lead a group of people, it is easy because you, you just have to uh, to get out of their way, open the path for them, uh, 
get the right resources and also be able to nurture the next layer of leadership. Um, I, I don't know whether that would extrapolate to leadership in this country on the political front or on a company that is for profit, that is making a product. I'm primarily talking about healthcare. No, thank you very, very much. I, I'm going to close, and, and you did not send this to me. Your PR team did not send this to me. Nobody sent this to me. I, I found it online. I'm going to close with one of the reviews written about you, and you'll probably be embarrassed, but but I I, I love this. And this is a review of Dr. Trissau, and I just found it to be so so telling. It says, and this is a verified review that's on the City of Hope website, I believe most doctors enter the field of medicine as a profession to help patients. I also think a few doctors are chosen to feel, to join the field of medicine to comfort and heal. I have no doubt that Dr. Trissau is one of the chosen. We feel truly blessed to be comforted and healed by Dr. Trissau. I mean, how nice is that in terms of a telling statement from a patient about the care that you and your team provided? Dr. Trissau, I want to thank you for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Just a remarkable journey and career, and, and thank you for your leadership. God, thank you so much. It's really been a joy to see how you have brought together a group of people thinking uh, and moving this, mo uh, moving this field forward. Thank you.